You're listening to another episode of Behind the Scoop podcast. I have a special guest with me. I have Karim Al Hayawan. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Okay, so I want to ask you a question because you you've been you're famous in the art scene, if you haven't noticed. And um, I wanted to ask you, how did it all start? Because when you're a child, it all starts there usually. When did it start for you? It started when I felt the need to express. Basically, I think everything in life is art. The attempt to define art is in itself a very complex matter. And I believe for as long as we keep it as open as possible and we leave the source of expressing ourselves the key of what we want to do and what we do, um, so there's no start and there's no end. It's how expressive you are, uh, finding the tool of your expression, be it designing spaces, photography, dance, cook, anything it is. And this is... When you have this kind of mindset, you are free and fluid to keep exploring new grounds and new worlds um, with the core essence of wanting to express. You started out as an architect. Yes. Was it the traditional mom and dad, like you have to be either a doctor or an architect, or was it like something that you <laughs> wanted to do? This is going to kind of take you by surprise, actually. Okay. Uh, I was um, truly in love with chemistry. Okay. All right. And I think it all goes back to my chemistry teacher who made chemistry extremely fun, that it was some sort of design in itself. Mm. And my whole aspiration was to design laugh gas because laugh and happy gas oh. is so much fun. <laughs> and dangerous, <laughs> it's a dangerous combination. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I was in it for designing laugh gas. Okay, um, how did that shift? Um, actually, I um, uh, approached and uh, applied for chemical engineering and I visited the engineering building And this is where architecture exists. And I walked down the corridor uh, of the architectural building. And when I saw the projects hanging on the wall and how beautiful and functional and expressive and diverse. And this is when I knew that that's exactly what I want to do. Prior to that, I have actually been always involved in helping my parents design things. So when we're doing our home, when we're moving out, I'm always involved in the process, in the detail of the process, in designing everything around the house, but specifically my room. Uh, I mean, I had an, a huge issue with my mother specifically <laughs> for the entrance, <laughs> where uh, moving from one house to the other, where mm-hmm. it should be in the center or off center. center okay. and I, re- I recall such details. I mean, Apply they're coming back to me. Without symmetry. Yeah, and designing my room mm-hmm. itself was such a huge pleasure. I remember it was burgundy, deep, deep burgundy. And the painters walking through in and out were like, What kind of room is that, you know? So I was really involved buying the vintage relaxed chair, the leather chair, selecting my Japanese bed. What age was this? This was, I think, 18, 19, 18, 17, in this, in this range. But before that, I was always involved. Uh, so it's, it's the way you express. I had no intention back then. It's just you either love things, you love life, you want to express, you have something to say. This is when you know you're pursuing something. Not necessarily art, not necessarily architecture. No, it's it's the passion for things. It's Sitting here right now, I noticed something very unique is that you have an eye for detail, a very specific one. Because and you you love anything visual. From looking behind me right now, or just checking it out before we even sat down, there's binoculars up up there. There's uh, I think a, a very close kind of form of early projector that you can yes. look into slides. Yeah. And um, and there's some different glasses here besides the one yeah, that you're wearing. Yeah. So I can see that there is, you've always been look, looking at something visual and something that's very specific. 
Yeah, it's mostly mm. things that tell a story. Okay. It's mostly things, even in contemporary pieces. Mm-hmm. If the contemporary piece has a story, the artist has a story. I mean, around you are a lot of contemporary art pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly, I would say 90% or even more, are painters that I know personally. Okay. That there's a story, there's a shared narrative between us. Mm-hmm. There's something, I'm looking at my friends in this room. Mm-hmm. So it's either people I know mm-hmm. or people I don't. But everything behind you, like you were uh, previously uh, okay. highlighting, mm-hmm definitely holds a story, a memory, uh, an untold story, a story left to your imagination. So it's that. It's basically the binoculars probably were owned by someone who had this hobby of doing this. The slides come from a house uh, that uh, the inherents gave out or sold the products. Uh, The rest are from Amgad Nagib, the vintage dealer in downtown, where I go and sit with him and chat and try to find the story behind Something it. With a story. So it's the story. It's basically the emotion that things carry. I believe things that pass down, I think we as humans pass down mm. things. From one generation to another. And it's also done in multiple manners and ways, through documentation, through documentaries, through photography, through art, through cinema. I believe we humans, in a way, have this dire need to document, starting mm. from ancient Egypt. It's our trace. It's what you leave behind. And I believe that this, when left behind, will say something about me. Anyway. This is actually something that I wanted to ask you. You shifted from, no, you didn't shift fully, but you have several hats. You wear exactly. several hats. Uh, one of which that a lot of people have been talking about, that, like photography specifically. Um, why did you shift? Is it the same reason as stories when it comes to photos as well? No, I just follow how I feel. I was bored. Uh, I think I have hit the glass ceiling. And this, I think, is extremely important to know when you hit the glass ceiling, when you're on repeat, when you're on autopilot. Once you start... comfort zone. Comfort zone becomes, it's done, you achieved this. You either start capitalizing on what you achieved and start paying homage to yourself, and this is when you fall in the trap, basically. Because if you are this curious, passionate human being, you always uh, pursue different endeavors and tap on new land, and you want to explore. You want to express differently, you want to learn, you want to try new things. And did your previous experience with architecture and design, did you use that and in your photography? Definitely. I mean, everything pours back in one another. Again, but back to your first question. Unfortunately, 10 years ago, the architectural and interior design domains weren't as inspiring as they are today. Okay. When you talk architecture anywhere in the world, it's public space. It's space, spaces that people use. It is iconic spaces or or landmarks, hospitals, schools, airports, stations. It's all about the public space. Here in Egypt, here in Cairo, it was very limiting. You're talking about developments. You're talking about modular homes that are on repeat. You're talking about malls that just look the same. Now, design has become an edge. So now it's back to being inspiring again. Now you can actually fulfill certain needs of expression. However, back then you're basically on repeat mode. You're, you're designing blocks that just have slight differences. And you're designing for the few. You're not designing for the mass. You're not designing for people, for humans. This brings us to your following question. Yeah. You can always go back and forth. You can always tap on new things when the core essence of what you do is humanity. Because I believe expression and design and art and everything is somehow tied with this transparent thread that puts it all in intact and in shape humanity. You do that. You do art to express human. You collect art to express. It's all about that. If, like Philip Stark once said, it's all about pouring back to the human tribe. Mm -hmm. 
all right? If, if this is your core message or mission, then everything ties in together. You take from here, you go back here. And, and when, you, when you leave for a while, this temporary uh, displacement gives you good vision. Yeah, and it gives you good vision to see it macro, to see it differently versus being fully indulged and immersed. This is something that everybody does when they're doing any kind of photography is either like, for example, layman people. I'm not, I'm not talking no about photographers. <laughs> Normal iPhone users, for example, or anything I'm like an that. User. I mean, like people usually tend to take photos either to preserve a memory or yeah. take a, a, a beautiful photo of something that they see beautiful, gorgeous, whatever. Um, what is it that you look for when you take your own photo? Is it the same story angle or is it something it changes. else? It, it keeps changes. on changing. But again, if you're true to yourself, it remains there's, there's this line that ties everything together again because it's a reflection of who you are. The same way as you carry yourself, the same way as you dress. I mean, we all change the way we dress, but it's all you. Okay. Correct? Along age and a long time, you change. But there's this character thread that keeps everything tied. So in photography, when I first started at university, this is when I started photography, um, I was infatuated with architectural photography. And during field trips to Old Cairo, to where we did our urban studies in Ain Sira, uh, where we visited homes, we did our s surveys and, and analysis and all that, uh, I was very curious and keen and intrigued by different things in homes. I'm always this curious intruder that trespasses, you know, always wanting to uh, uncover certain things. So I did that during university. I, it was very fulfilling. And then I finished the stage. And then I uh, took my distance. I pursued my career as an architect. And then when I went back to photography, it was street photography. Okay. I was already saturated and fulfilled with the, the first surface. So I peeled this off. And you go to the following surface. The following surface there was human behavior was how people interact. This was, I mean, if I wasn't an architect designer, I'd be an anthropologist, a sociologist. It's something I truly admire observing human behavior. I think this also helps in all hats that I wear. In architecture or design, you really need to understand your clients. You need to have the conversation. You need to create this connection and bond. You need to understand them. You need to leave yourself outside and start listening. And you embody and you take in and you understand and you perceive and then you reflect because we're end of the day we're giving a service you're building something that people will use if you want to build your own build your own so um when you take this when you put this in perspective um human behavior was really my approach was the communication was the conversation in the street it was 50 percent photography 50 percent conversation okay so maybe i don't take a, a good shot but i had a beautiful fulfilling inspiring conversation and from that conversation you get a story exactly and then you come back again with this appetite to know more so i'd never listen to music for instance when i'm shooting i want to listen to everything that's happening around me i want to smell i want to see i want to feel i want to converse and the full experience it's a full experience so and then when you when you immerse yourself in that you start dissecting and deconstructing the elements and breaking them down to the smallest element. And when you do that, you convey the biggest picture with the smallest element. It becomes a universal metaphor that anywhere in the world, everywhere, anyone would understand what you're trying to say or would receive the message in a universal manner. So you go to the core emotion of what you want to, if you can go directly to the core emotion without any unnecessary layers, it becomes well-read, well-felt, well-understood. Well and fully perceived. detailed, of course. Um, so essentially, if I would, if 
I'm just assuming, correct me if I'm wrong. If I would describe a Karim al Haywan's photo or work, it would be humanity, history, details, and story. Mostly, but there's a bit of humor, dark humor. There's a bit of critique. It's all underlayered. Okay. I mean, my photography doesn't, it doesn't carry the same level of happiness and joy and simplicity as they do. There's so many underlayers of critique. Okay of uh, satire okay. there's always this little pinch but i always believe that a colorful approach always takes you in and then your message has goes there through. been a like an elusive shot that you've been trying to get and you haven't been able to so far no there's there's plenty of elusive shots i believe i believe that cairo in itself is surreal altogether it's surreal to an extent that it became real it grew on us so there's all, always these surreal moments that just don't add up, that don't make sense. I think nowadays, a lot of beautiful Instagram accounts have surfaced, like I don't feel safe in Egypt and oh yeah, all these are just fantastic um, because they are uh, documentation, toilets of Egypt. I mean, people are really dissecting the constituents of our community and society and, and circles and city into its smallest elements. That's the most beautiful way of describing or portraying your city because when you break it down to the smallest and then add them up. So I'm saying there's the laundry uh, photo, which is extremely, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to say popular, but I mean, it's a very surreal shot. There's the chair hanging somewhere is a very surreal shot. So they're all like, you look at them and you say, really? Did this that exist? One? Yeah, did, did he stage that? You know, they're not documentary. They're more surreal. And unlike any other city in the world or a few cities in the world, you get these situations, you get these incidents. Everything mostly is so proper, so in place, so predictable, so expected. Yeah, you know? I, I think uh, like from what I'm getting is like uh, life is stranger than fiction. So yeah. essentially yeah, you find you that in front you of go. you. If we don't document that, if you, you don't believe go it. past the bridge and find all these peeled buildings with drawings and people's bedrooms just unveiled, Right? This is surreal. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. So I believe we're quite, it's a duty to document such real surrealism. You've traveled to several countries. I'm, this is specifically regarding Cairo, but I, I am going to go to it with another angle. You've been to several countries, I'm sure. Paris, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. Has any of them, because I'm, I think from what I'm getting from your work, Cairo is your muse. 100%. Has that changed in any way? No, I mean, at first, um, I, I tried to deal with other or, or observe and, and perceive other cities the same way. And then I realized I just failed drastically because it's, it's almost impossible to absorb and feel a city in a week or two or a month. You need to live there. You need to stay there. You need to feel, eat, converse, interact. You need all that. So after I think six years, five years since I started, I realize whenever I travel, I'm a tourist. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful sabbatical. I just walk around in shorts and a camera and take a photo of the Taj Mahal, like the tens of millions and hundreds of millions of photos, because I owe that to myself. Mm -hmm. Why do I need to claim depth when it's impossible? You just enjoy it. Because it's you never fine. lived there. Yeah, well. it's fine to be a tourist. You'd be claiming depth where you're actually just on the surface. Mm -hmm. And it shows, and it's, it's uh, absurd. So I think when you're on that level, you just need to embrace and acknowledge 
and, and celebrate that level. It's perfectly fine. It's one of the level. Maybe if I go again to the same city, I'll see it differently. Then I'll portray something differently. Definitely, some cities are very in- inspiring and intriguing. I try to take interesting shots. I try to create moments that I find interesting that I want to document for myself. But again, it depends on how you feel towards that city and why you're there. And usually I don't have much time, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I hope that you have much more time uh, there as well. With the accessibility of a lot of iPhones and, a lot, and essentially cameras getting better and better with our daily carries, do you think that photography has now become more accessible to people, normal people that aren't focused? Everything's accessible. Okay. It's not only photography. You can digital paint. My kids, my daughters both digital paint on Procreate and it's there and you just take a photograph and, or a painting and you trace and you paint and you add filters and you add layers and you add all that. So again, everything's accessible, which I think has been building up in the past 10 to 15 years. It's not new. Before, I believe access to information was uh, exclusive and this is what gave edge if you have, which is, I believe, very limiting because it was the few privileged that can have this kind of access Mm -hmm. to information. Then their interpretation of that was truly uh, uh, biased and and extremely exclusive. However, now things have changed. Everything's accessible. It's how you perceive and how you interpret and how you digest and then uh, uh, re-express and apply. Mm -hmm. So everything's accessible. It's not only photography. Everyone's a filmmaker. Correct? True. Everyone's true. a painter. Everyone's an installation artist. Correct? Everyone's a cook. <laughs> yeah, true. Correct? So everyone, everyone's everything, which is perfect. Ten years ago, you used to fight to be a polymath or, or a multidisciplinary. It was, now it's the trend. Now anyone who wants to get away with doing everything or doing nothing at all is a multidisciplinary human being, which is fantastic. I believe in these organic calibrations. When everyone's doing that and then life calibrates, you know, it filters itself. I hate it when when people start claiming that you are this and you are you aren't, or putting label on something. putting label, limiting people. I mean, it's it's so elitist. You can do anything you want, the way you want, even if it's simple, even if it's basic, if it satisfies you, if it gives you pleasure, if it's fulfilling. What else do you need? Again, everything's accessible. It, the, now it's all about going out there and going doing out it. there and doing it and building yourself because i believe this is the core pursuit that everyone should work on building yourself it's the books you read the films you watch the music you listen to the people you engage with these are all the elements that build you up and then you have something to express expressing it through photography which has become accessible is equally expressing it to through filmmaking which is equally accessible through painting which is equally accessible so now it's back to who you are and what you're building and the, the seed you're planting. And that's fantastic. Before, it was extremely exclusive. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, moving forward from this, I want to look at the artwork from your perspective, but from an external point of view when it comes to the whole MENA region. You've traveled to several countries in the MENA region. Yeah. How have you seen that shift in the past, for example, five to 10 years? It's definitely progressive. I believe the young, are courageous, are bold, they have their voice. Um, They're equally challenged on the other side with the art industry and the dynamic of the art industry because both, I mean, the art industry is very new 
to the area in the sense of the international art industry. So there's a, a challenge, there's a, a crack, there's a there's like a little unspoken, you know, change. Change. And a small revolution. Yeah. And so it's this art industry with all its dynamic, all its politics and game changers and players versus young artists that are extremely vocal, expressive, free and liberated, are not tied at all to any previous rules, uh, rules or preconceptions of, I mean, a dear artist that I collaborate, wanted to collaborate with on a, on a piece that was highlighting a very important, iconic master artist. Uh, I asked him to collaborate with me on it, on a video piece, and he said, wait, let me go to the museum and see if I like him or not. Okay. For our generation, this didn't even exist. It's a preconception that the mas- you like the masters, you're growing up learning from the masters. I mean, each generation has its pros and cons. So he went to the museum, he came back, he said, I'm sorry, I don't like this artist. Okay. You know, there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of revolt against all... Uh, um, bluntness as well. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot I, of I bluntness. Like and yeah, exactly. Fast questions. Egypt for me is? My inspiration. Uh, art for me is? My uh, expression and vent. And art is art. Uh, if I wasn't a designer, I would be an anthropologist. Thank you very much. That's pretty much it. I really had a lovely time. And uh, thank you very much for uh, checking us out. And of course, uh, check out more on our website, scoopempire.com. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you for listening. Check out the rest of the episodes everywhere where you get your podcasts. I'm Omar, and this was Behind the Scoop Podcast by Scoop Empire. See you next time. Bye.